we come to the Gospel message this evening, can I ask you to turn your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, returning to the Gospel of Luke, and chapter 23, please. Luke in chapter 23, and we read from the verse 26, Luke in chapter 23, and the verse 26. This is the word of the Lord, Gospel of Luke, 23, verse 26. And as they led him, that is the Lord Jesus, away, they laid hold upon one, Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that they might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning on to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paths which never give suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall in us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive me, for they know not what they do, he parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. The rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. Let he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. The superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. And trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There are many people in history who on their deathbed uttered famous last words. Last words, they can be of extreme importance. You know, a pastor, he was visiting a nursing home one day, and he was visiting three ladies, and he said to them, what do you want people to say about you when they look into your coffin? And the first lady said, well, I want them to say, she was a good woman. And the second lady said, well, I would like them to say when they look into my coffin, doesn't she look nice? And the final lady said, well, I would prefer them to be saying, look, She's moving. You know, D.L. Moody, he was a famous preacher. And uh, he had a, a very victorious death in what he said in his deathbed. He said, this is wonderful. He says, I can see the children. Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. I must go. This is my coronation day. Famous last words. But surely the most famous and significant last words are all those that were spoken of Christ 
at the cross of Calvary. In the coming weeks and Sunday evenings, we're going to consider those cries from the cross in a little series that we're calling Crosswords. Crosswords. These words that the Lord Jesus cried out, surely they were words of tenderness and love, and they were words of triumph. There's seven cries we hear them say. And this evening we're going to deal with the first of those. Found in Luke chapter 23, and we've read it already. In the verse 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, in verse 33 we read these words, there they crucified him. Where were these words that Christ uttered? Where did this take place? Where is there from verse 33? Well, it's Calvary. It's Golgotha. It's the place of the skull. There they crucified him. Calvary, it's the darkest place in all of history. Calvary, it's the most mysterious place in all of history. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? Calvary, it's the center place of love. Calvary, it's the only place where salvation can be found. Calvary, if it hadn't satisfied God's wrath, it wouldn't have been enough. We would be damned to that place called hell. There, there they crucified him. And in verse 33, when you read it with me again, it says, And when they were come to the place, suggests that there was a journey that took place. When they had come to the place, to get to the place, you have to take a journey. And I want you to note this evening, the longest journey, the longest journey. When they came to that place, it suggests there was a long journey. And in the passage we read this evening, we read of the final short part of the journey that the Lord Jesus Christ had made before they crucified him. This was a short journey. It was from Pilate's judgment hall to Skull Hill or Golgotha or Calvary. It was a short walk, just a few hundred yards, just a few minutes. But those were the final steps, the final minutes before Christ was nailed to the cross at Calvary. However, the earthly journey to the cross began 33 years earlier. Our Savior's earthly journey began in a little village a few miles south of Jerusalem. It was the village called Bethlehem. And there the earthly journey of the Son of God began. Began in the stable, in the manger. The Messiah, the promised one, had arrived. And it progressed soon after his birth south into Egypt for protection from Herod who wanted to kill him. But when they traveled back, they went north of Jerusalem and they went into Galilee and they lived in an obscure village called in Nazareth, a town called Nazareth. And the journey seemed to go on and seemed to then be held whole for 30 years in that little time. When the Lord Jesus reached the age of 30, it was time to launch his ministry. And he went to the River Jordan, and he was baptized there by John the Baptist. And of course you'll remember those famous words that John declared as the Lord Jesus came over the hillside. He pointed at me and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In the earthly months of his ministry, he remained in Jerusalem and Judea, then progressed up to Galilee, 
where for over a year he had a great ministry there in Galilee. In the final, and in the final months of his three-year ministry, he ministered in Judea, going from town to village to hamlet, around the place, proclaiming his Messiahship, pronouncing the kingdom of God, and offering forgiveness and salvation through his name. Eventually he came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover for the final week of his life. He was welcomed to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with cries of Hosanna. How different the week would end. Now in the passage this evening, it's Friday morning, in the final week, he'll be crucified on Friday afternoon. He'll be dead before the sun goes down and buried and placed in the tomb. These are the last hours and minutes we read of the Saviour's life as he takes the steps towards the cross. An earthly journey of 33 years. But you know, we can go even before that. It's a journey that started in eternity, in those royal courts of heaven. It started in the infinite and eternal mind of the Trinity when it was determined that God would redeem and would send his Son to pay the price for our redemption. The road to Calvary didn't really begin in Bethlehem. It began in eternity past. When in heaven the Son of God, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant that was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's a supernatural journey. It's an indescribable condescension from God's heaven to a manger to a world that knew him not. Here the man of sorrows, Christ the Lord. And so it was that the creator of the universe, the one who flung stars into space, his hands were surrendered to cruel needles. And you know what I want to tell you, dear friend, tonight? Had it only been for you. Had it only been for me. He still would have made that journey. There he went to the old rugged cross. And he left the loving Heavenly Father and came to a world of rejected him. A world that mocked him. A world that ridiculed him. People who spat upon him. He did all that. The Son of God went to the cross of Calvary and suffered all that. For you and for me. When they had come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Crucified for your creed. You put your name Crucified for you. You see, my friend, the reason why the Lord Jesus was willing to take the longest journey and humble himself to the death on the cross is because he loves you. You see, your sin, my sin, those things that, that separate us from a holy God are your sin. It was punished at the place called Calvary. The Lord Jesus, he was willing to take that long journey to pay the price for your sin, to pray, pay the price for your wrongdoing. He, had he not gone to Calvary, Calvary, we all would be on our way to a lost eternity this evening. Had he not gone to Calvary and finished the work, we would be doomed and damned tonight. But praise God, he went to the cross of Calvary and there is hope. And that's why we meet here in this place tonight. 
Because yes, the Lord Jesus went to the cross of Calvary for you. But you must put your trust and faith in that work. You must accept that you're a sinner. And tonight that's why I stand here. You know, if I didn't think this West message was worth proclaiming, I wouldn't stand here tonight. But the Lord Jesus, he loved you and he gave himself for you. And he calls you softly and tenderly as Jonathan's son. He calls you to come and put your trust in him and have a relationship with him because he loves you. Let me say to you, dear believer, in the meeting tonight, if you consider the journey that the Savior took to Calvary, and it doesn't cause your soul to sin, if it doesn't cause you to worship Him, and the blood that was shed there was for your redemption, there's something wrong. The Son of Man came to seek and see if that which was lost, that was you, that was me. And dear believer tonight, you're fine. We should praise Him tonight. Because of him and only him, you're saved tonight. He has planted a desire in you to be in his house tonight, to worship his name tonight. Honestly, if you consider all that the Savior went through, and it doesn't do something for your soul, there's something wrong. Redeeming love, a love that knows no limit. Redeeming love, a love that shall not die. My soul shall sing throughout the endless ages with choirs extolling. His great love on high. What a saviour we have tonight. He left eternity and came to this sin-sick world. And dear friend, he came for you. He came for me. Because he loves you. The longest journey. But I want you to note that he took the vilest possession. The vilest possession. Read verse 33 with me again. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors. One on the right hand and the other on the left. There they crucified him. And the malefactors. One on the right hand. And one on the left. There's where the world put the God of this universe. They spat him and whipped him. Placed the crown of thorns upon his head and the blood flowed. They stripped him. He died the most horrible criminal's death. And the blood ran. Isaiah tells us they marred his image more than any other. He wasn't even recognizable for all that they did for to him. They mocked him. They put that mocking accusation over his head. This is the king of the Jews. Some sources tell us that the Romans wouldn't even let their women see a crucifixion because it was such a violent and cruel sight. That's where they hung the Son of God. It was the vilest possession. It was the death reserved for the worst of criminals. And there they put the perfect one. Hung with the malefactors. Hung with the criminals. The perfect, sinless Son of God. And there this God of the universe is crucified by sinners. Crucified between two sinners. Crucified before sinners. And crucified because of sinners. Crucified for me, a sinner. Crucified for you, a sinner. And yet the Savior went to Calvary to be a sin offering. To please the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah 53 verse 12, we are told, and he was numbered 
with the transgressors. Isaiah 53 also reminds us that if you and I, that it was you and I that put the Savior in this cruel position. Don't ever forget that. We have a part to play in the scene of the cross that we're visiting this evening. It was my sin. It was our sin that put him there. Isaiah 53 says as a reminder of this in verse 4 we read, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our chaos was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. My sin, your sin, nailed the Savior to that cross. You see, when it comes to Calvary, you may not physically be there, but your sin was there. Your transgressions were there. And your iniquities were right there. Christ hung there and bore the punishment for them. Calvary is a very powerful place. Calvary, the vilest position. And sinful man put the lovely one to see if you're there and made him the man of sorrows. That's what Isaiah calls the man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I want you to see thirdly tonight the kindest prayer. The kindest prayer. Look at verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you picture the same? Man has done his worst. And the one by whom the world was made had come into the world and they knew him not. And the Lord of glory had lived among men, but he wasn't wanted by man. And now there is the Savior hanging on the cross and Christ he hangs there suspended between heaven and the earth. And there he's dying for you, and he is the sinful man who had nailed him to the cross, and you would think that he would cry out in pity, but did he do that? No. You would think that he would hurl abuse at his torturers, but he didn't do that. Is he praying for himself as he hangs on the cross? No, he doesn't pray for himself. He prays for you. And he prays for me. And he prays for those who have nailed him to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He prays the kindest prayer. As he dies the most cruel death that's ever been known to man. As he hangs there as the wrath of God is poured upon him. And you would think he would have right to cry out. And to cry out for himself. But that's not what he does. He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. All the cries of many people who were kneeled to the Roman crosses for their crimes, I'm sure this was the most gracious one that those Roman soldiers had ever heard. His soldiers would have been used to hearing threats and abuse as they kneeled prisoners to the cross, and the Lord Jesus says, Forget them. Forget them. I wonder if you ever been in agony. Maybe broken a bone. Maybe you've been staying one way. In that moment, the only person in the world that matters is yourself. 
I remember breathing my wrist when I was a bit younger and the agony I was in. If you'd come along to me and said, Peter, could you help me with this? I would have said, no. I'm trying to get help. But there's the Savior. Neil's driven through his hands and feet. His blood is already flowing from the whip on his back and the crown of thorns upon his head. And he prays the kindest prayer. He prayed for sinners, the sinners who were kneeling under the cross. Here was the one who has power to forgive. Hanging there, dying so that you and I might be forgiven. What love there was in this prayer. Dear friend, tonight he loves you. I'll say it again, he loves you. And he prayed that prayer for you. He wants you to put your trust in him, to be forgiven from sin, to know that you're on your way to heaven. But tonight you must put your trust and faith in the cross of Calvary and accept your sinner. You know, when I look and consider all that Christ did, I need to ask you, dear unconverted friend tonight, why would you not accept his salvation? You consider all that he did. I did this for you. Don't think about the people you came to the meeting here with tonight. I'm talking to you tonight. The Savior loves you. And he prayed this prayer for you. And he wants you to be saved. <coughs> but we accept him as your Savior. And if you are saved tonight, I wonder should we ask the question? Those of us who belong to the Lord, if the Lord Jesus did all this to save me, I met him for him. Thorns beat thy bride when hanging on the tree, man's cruelty. Why lavish love is this? O Lord of me, thou lovest me. Would that my soul could understand its length, its breadth, depth, height, and everlasting strength. Thy precious blood was freely shed for me on Calvary. To save me from a lost eternity, glory to thee. Nor death, nor hell, nor things below above can sever me from thy eternal love. Like sure as thy love can do no bound, thy love us me. Deep, vast, immense, unfathomable, Lord, profound. Lord, I love thee. I wonder can you say that from your heart tonight. I'm going above. My crown is at thy feet. I'll praise thee still for Calvary's mercy's sake. The longest journey, the vilest position, <coughs> the kindest prayer. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. But finally, this evening, as we visit this, we see the ghastliest sight. The ghastliest sight. In verse 35, we read these words. And the people stood, beholding. People stood just watching. Behold. From the account that we read here in the Gospel of Luke, it, it appears like the people were just stood there staring with some kind of stupor, like watching some kind of blood sport. To just looking on and watching a play unfold. We also read in verse 48 of the same chapter, it says all the people came together to that site. In the word that's used here in the Bible, it's, 
It's a word that's used for theater, like a play. The word isn't used anywhere else. And let me tell you that this scene never played out here. Because what they saw would only need to happen once. And praise God, it never happened again. Because the Lord Jesus finished the work at the cross and paid the price for sin, and in a later week we'll consider that crying when we cry that it is finished. It's a finished work. Complete. You can put your trust in it tonight. And there's forgiveness for you if you'll only accept it because the Lord said, Father, forgive them. You can be free. You can be forgiven from the guilt of sin. You can be forgiven from sin. You can be guaranteed a home in heaven. And tonight we can stand here if we consider this finished work and say, done is the work that sees. Once and forever done. It'll never have to happen again. And what those people witnessed as they viewed the ghastliest sight that there's ever been. They only witnessed it once and it'll never, ever happen again. His precious blood was shed for your sin. But you know, many of the people who were at the cross watching that day, they will be saved in the weeks to come. You know, on the day of Pentecost, the next 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem were converted to Christ. And they were baptized and the church was begun. Then within a few weeks, another 5,000 men and more and more and it moved into ten thousands of people who began to embrace the, Lord, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and came to him as sinner and they put their trust in him and the church began to grow. And you know, praise God, that victory march from the cross still continues today because there are many still who are putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. You see, the picture at the cross of Calvary is a picture of victory. You know, there was a Roman soldier there he declared, surely this was the Son of God. As he listened to the cries from the cross. It's the place of victory. It's there where your sin was defeated. It's only a step to Jesus tonight. Imagine all the work being done. Imagine the work being finished. Imagine the Lord's forgiveness being offered to you. To one day and to end up in eternity. Did not be ready. Did know all about it, but not be ready. You know the thief on the cross. He turned to the Lord for salvation, experienced victory that day. So there could be victory in Green's Baptist this evening. Right where you are, you could be seen. You could speak to the Lord right where you are. And that victory march could continue today in Green's Baptist. Hallelujah, he's still saving souls today. I wonder tonight, will you ever be added to the Lamb's book of life? Oh, my friend, there's forgiveness at the cross. Oh, to see my name, <clears throat> written in the woods. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through yourself was the best of power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. What a love. What a cause. We stand forgiven at the cross. I wonder is that your testimony tonight? I wonder are you forgiven at the cross? Maybe the same thing the Spirit of God is striving with you. 
Maybe you know the reality of your sin. Maybe even before the meeting, you knew that you needed to be saved. I don't apologize for saying what I'm going to say next. What if this is your last opportunity? What if you were to be thrust out into eternity tonight? What if you weren't even to make it out the door of the church this evening? Did you know and all about how you can be ready for eternity? But you've rejected the message. Maybe just put it on. My friend, this is a serious part of our leader. And I plead with you as a preacher of the gospel tonight. Don't leave. Don't even think about another man. Please, you're trusting him tonight. Be seated. There's forgiveness at the cross for your soul. Why don't we seek the Lord? Why don't we be fine? And call upon him while he's here. You know, visited the scene of the cross for the first time tonight. We consider that first cry from the cross. But I praise God for what Lockridge, that great preacher, said. He said this, it's Friday. Sunday's coming. He's alive tonight. He's in our midst. And he can save you.